Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. This week we look back on Madrid, where a new champion was crowned. Zverev from the far end serves down the center. The backhand return from Dominic Team fires long. And it's Zverev who sends the ball high up into the sky. He's come through the entire draw without dropping a set, without even having his serve broken, conceding a single break point. And Sverev has clinched his third Masters 1000 title at the age of just 21. A dominant performance that hints at what is to come. Sverev, the only man left standing in the final. And a comfortable victory against a beleaguered Dominic team. Yes, a 6-4, 6-4 win brought Sasha Zverev a first Madrid crown and left Dominic Team lamenting a second consecutive defeat in the final. It was Team who knocked out Nadal, but it was Zverev who lifted the trophy. I'm Richard Connolly, and with Naomi Cavaday, we'll look back on the Mutua Madrid Open and bring you the best of the interviews from our roving reporter, Nick McCarvel. So, Naomi, good to be with you once again. Um, Sasha Zverev, what a champion he was. Ten sets, he won them all at a canter. Uh, no match over 80 minutes in duration. Uh, why was he so totally untouchable this week? Couldn't have been easier, could it? Uh, yeah, it's a combination of things, really. I mean, Zverev was great. He, he barely put a foot wrong. His focus, his laser-sharp focus was absolutely extraordinary. He had little wobbles here and there, but when I say little, I mean tiny. We're talking two or three points. And he ended up, most of the time, still getting away with the game and, and getting the game on the board, so it didn't actually matter. There were no bad runs of games. The serving was outstanding. The, no one could get on his second serve at all. He was winning almost all of the points behind it, and it was great. On top of that, we had team in the final, maybe not quite at his best. Shapovalov was quite tired as well. So some of the players he was coming up against weren't necessarily putting forward their best tennis. But more than anything, he was clinical, he was professional, and he was the best player of the tournament. He broke Dominic team in the opening game of the first set and the second set. I mean, he mentally, he got on top of team right when it counted, didn't it? Didn't allow him a chance to get into the match. Yeah, he did. He took every opportunity and those opportunities came very early on in the sets. And, and normally you're looking to try and build into the match and maybe see your opportunity for all five all and pounce. But it was presented to him and he didn't want to wait. He thought that the, he knew that every point was going to count and he took every opportunity perfectly. Um, just brilliant, ruthless. What are the improvements that he's making? What is making him incrementally getting getting better and better here? I think mentally, as I was saying, just being so steady through that throughout the whole tournament, throughout all of the matches, incredibly strong now, wide in the corners when he's deep back behind the baseline. Something he's been working on really hard with his fitness trainer, with his strength and conditioning trainer, Jez Green, getting stronger, trying to put some muscle on. It's tough when you're that age, really, to, to get it on you, to get the meat on the bones. But he's looking stronger. He's looking more powerful, more aggressive, dealing with the slice a little bit better as well. That's always been something that has maybe caught him out. But he's just dangerous. He's playing a great balance of play. The serving was just, just outstanding this week. He was joking about it, wasn't he, uh, post-match? that the fitness and conditioning work wasn't paying off with his with his look. He's not going to turn into Mr. Muscle overnight, but you obviously have seen the evidence and that his core is getting stronger. That, And there was, you know, the forehand, the serve. I mean, you know, he gave up one break point in the entire tournament. And, yeah, part of that is the placement, but the power is, is coming, isn't it? He's, he's, he's becoming the full package. Yeah, the power, relentless power on the first serve as well. I mean, we had light conditions here. It's a little bit of altitude as well. So the ball zips through the air, which... Zverev would really like, um, and he, you could see how much he, he enjoyed that. When his serve is firing, it just helps even more. He's just able to hit such a weight of shot that he just hits through the court. Didn't really bother with the kick serve at all. Um, and he just 
yeah, just the serving was just, just perfect from corner to corner, the variations, as I say. He was putting in the kick serve, but not like a lot of the other players do. Um, he was just firing them down, using the conditions uh, rather than playing to the court. Dominic team looked at crestfallen man at the end, having reached the final for a second consecutive year, but not being able to lift what would have been his first Masters 1000 trophy. Uh, why was he able to discomfort Rafael Nadal to such a degree in the quarterfinals and then uh, not so in the final? Oh, he was so good against Rafael Nadal. He was so aggressive. There was so much bite on every single shot he had. He plays with great shape, lots of great spin. Um, the inside-out forehand was just devastating. The, the play, I mean, I mean, the standard play we saw against Nadal was uh, serve out wide on the juice. The ball comes back centrally. He's pulled Nadal out into the corner, moves around it inside out forehand into space. I mean, he did that so many times. And, and the inside in forehand as well, it was just relentlessly big and heavy and wide, which was so, so important for him. Um, he came closer to the baseline. He changed his tactics as well. He played more aggressively with his positioning, which uh, he doesn't normally do he knew he had to push himself outside of his comfort zones and he maintained that throughout the whole match yeah um but team unable to be as accurate against Ferrell. i mean he, he didn't play he wasn't allowed to but he didn't play well when he had the opportunities he just missed those marks didn't he yeah he didn't play well i, I don't know why uh, you know maybe he was tired maybe it was the occasion you know he, he didn't play well he did manage to back up the nadal match with a really solid performance against kevin anderson but um you know i, I don't know whether it was because it was Ferrell down the other end or what but he just couldn't get himself going. I mean, he, he got better and better through the first set. He was just lacking in sharpness. The footwork wasn't the same. He was just not trying to be anywhere near as aggressive. We just didn't really see any big blistering forehands. I think when I think back to the whole final, probably saw four or five which yeah. is just not many really i mean he and he there were opportunities there you know yes verev was very clinical but there were lots of long rallies and teams should be winning the majority of those long rallies and he wasn't he was losing them felt like he only freed up at the end of both sets when it was pretty much too late in both to, to make a significant mark um which leads us on to highlights from the rest of the tournament i mean it was a terrific tournament the final didn't quite live up to our expectations even if we feel that the team's very rivalry is is here to stay. Shapovalov, Denis Shapovalov got in on the mix, didn't he? And got right through to the semi-finals where he couldn't live with Zverev as nobody could throughout the entire week. But were you surprised to see him making another deep run in a clay court event? I think so. I think, you know, we've got faster conditions. So if he was going to do it on clay, it would be here in Madrid. But, um, but, but yes, I think people are surprised to see him get all the way through to the semi-finals and, and the, the level of tennis he was playing. He actually just didn't even care that he was playing on a clay court. I think... The one area of playing on clay for him that he's just had to get used to is the movement. And, and that was one that he just wasn't particularly comfortable with. So he's worked a lot on that. But the actual game, I just he, he, it's the same game that he would play on any surface, really. It's big, it's fast, it's right up at the baseline. And he has rushed his opponent so much. I mean... When he played against Kyle Edmund in the quarterfinals, Kyle Edmund hit probably eight or nine very late forehands. And when I say very late, I mean literally hit them sideways or into the floor. Just could not find a contact on it at all to come up with anything that looked like a tennis shot. And that was just the pace that Shapovalov was, was playing and how far up the court he was. And you just don't normally see that on a clay court. Also how much he was going down the line. The majority of his backhands, 52% of his backhands were going down the line. And again, on a clay court, you're taught patience and cross court and keep working the ball cross court until you get your opportunity to go down the line. He just says, nah, this is how I play. <laughs> I play down the line. I play far. And the reason he plays down the line is because it's a faster shot because it gets down the other end quicker. And it, everything he does is about rushing his opponent. So he likes to play down the line and he did it brilliantly. So um, he's improved the movement on the clay, but the, the game's the same. Yeah, it was a thrill to watch once again. And that against Kyle Edmund, who'd beaten both Novak Djokovic and David Goffin. So an honorable mention to Edmund for an excellent week. Where are we up to with Rafa Nadal? Well, 
It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because we all it's, thought it's he was going to breeze through another clay court event. Yes. People were talking about going through the entire season without dropping a set. No one could see it happening. He got to 50. He got to the landmark 50 consecutive sets on the clay court, breaking the all-time single surface record from 1984 from John McEnroe on the carpet. And we did think, well, who's, who's going to stop it? And it was very difficult. Dominic team really built into the tournament and that was the match he came to life he'd had two three set struggles before that point yeah and I think that we would have had more faith in Dominic team if uh, he had played a, a better season if he hadn't picked up those injuries and you know he uh, you know struggled uh, in some tournaments before he had a little bit of a break and then he came to Monte Carlo it was a bit early he got absolutely crushed by Nadal just picking up two games um, and uh, that is that is why I just don't think people had the faith that he was going to win this match of course he's beaten him almost a year ago when he beat him in in Rome on the clay uh, so if anyone was going to stop it uh, we can't be surprised that it was team but it was just that he was out of form so yeah. the fact that he found his form so quickly is actually really impressive so what does Nadal make of his form and his chances as he moves from Madrid to Rome Rafa now that you've had a couple of days after Madrid I'm just wondering what was your biggest takeaway from that week and how do you feel heading into Rome? Oh, as <clears throat> I repeat the same always. When I win, um, I, I don't talk much when I'm in the next events about the, the previous weeks and when I lose the same. No, That's um, a sport and there is not much time to, to, to think about what happened. And, uh, okay, what happened last week was uh, forget it. And, um, yeah. That's it. Uh, have been a match that I should been playing better than I that what I did. I know what 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 I did wrong, and I I gonna try to to change that for this week. Rafa, um, how how long ago did you learn how to forget results? We're in a in a sport that uh, every week uh, all the players uh, all the weeks uh, all the players lose, only one wins. So. The lose is part of our our life, so no problem about that. I don't gonna win every week that I play. I know that. I'm very happy about my comeback after the after the injury and uh, after the injury and winning two tournaments now quarterfinals and here is another opportunity to play well. So that's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, hi, for a player like uh, Dominic Team, it seemed like uh, last week when he trained with you in Madrid, it was a good opportunity to come up uh, with uh, a better plan for the match. How do you balance between uh, the need to train against uh, top players uh, and the risk it involves for them to get closer to you? <laughs> um, probably these this kind of things are uh, just for you, not for me. Uh, I play. He practices with me, but I practice with him too. You know, so I could be ready for a, for a game plan too. So it's not uh, it's not about that. We practice between each other every week. Um, so what do you mean that in in two weeks uh, he had uh, two weeks ago he lost his two six zero. Then he beat me in a straight set. So things change it. The game plan no. Things don't don't change like this because he has a different game plan. Things change like this because we play it in a different conditions because he's a great player, and because uh, of course I didn't play as good as I I should do to to win this kind of matches. So the his game plan, I don't know. You can ask him when he when he arrives here. I am not in in his team, but. Um, <laughs> Was a was a tennis match, and I lost the match because we we played between two good players, and uh, that day one of these two players played worse than than the other. Not about game plan in that in that case, I think. Rafael Nadal's thoughts on his surprise defeat to Dominic Team in the quarterfinals in Madrid. Team's third victory over Nadal on a clay court, and only Gaston Gaudio with three and Novak Djokovic with seven have beaten Nadal that many times on the clay. So he'll be a little bit concerned. I don't know. Well, he's not number, I was going to say he's number one in the world. He's, he's not anymore. No, he's number he's two lost in the that world. number one rating. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to be concerned. I just don't think he, he played his best tennis and I think team was awesome. And, you know, it, it's, you know, like Nadal was saying there to... Um, 
to one of the journalists, you know, I think we can easily get caught up in lots of details and things. And actually, he just goes and plays a tennis match. <laughs> and you know what? You can't win until you know how to lose. And somebody like Nadal, who has done an awful lot of winning, he had to do a lot of losing on the way up. And uh, as he said, everyone, every player, every week loses apart from one. We're going to Rome next week. Everyone's going to lose apart from one. And, uh, you know, and he's right. He knows how to lose. He knows how to deal with it and move on. He'll be absolutely fine. He's still the heavy favourite for Roland Garros. Um, you know, and I, I think it, it, people would still be a little surprised if he didn't win the title. We're going to move on to the best of our interviews from Madrid, but just a couple of uh, honourable mentions to other uh, terrific performances during the course of the week in Madrid. You mentioned losing a lot and learning how to put up with that and winning. Finally, Kevin Anderson getting through the quarterfinals of a Masters 1000 event at the 11th time of asking. Congratulations to the big South African who eventually was beaten by Dominic Team in the semi-final. A 500th win on tour for Fernando Vadasco, although he couldn't get past the next round after uh, that particular landmark. And then Dusan Lajevic, the Serbian, who beat Juan Martin Del Potro from a set down and then eventually came through as a qualifier to the quarterfinals where he was beaten by Anderson. Those three players definitely worth um, an honourable doff of the cap. Oh, absolutely. It's been fantastic. It's amazing to think that Anderson's not been in a semi-final of a Masters 1000. That just seems extraordinary to me. And <laughs> even better that it's come on a clay court. Um, but, uh, yeah, big achievement for him. I thought it was great. Really nice to see Lejovic breaking through as well. And, of course, 500 wins for Vadasco. It's yeah. a lot. It's, um, it's an awful lot. One more little theme. Um, early in the week... We were thinking about Novak Djokovic's victory over Kei Nishikori in the first round as the beginning, potentially, of a turnaround. I mean, he lost in the second round to Kyle Edmund, but it was a smiling Djokovic who beat Nishikori in round one, and it felt like there was the spark. Yes, it's coming back, most definitely. And even in the defeat to uh, Kyle Edmund, there were patches of some really brilliant stuff and actually some glimpses of the old Djokovic. It's not the old Djokovic of 2011 where he was just completely unstoppable. But there were flashes of some just beautiful tennis. Uh, so that's encouraging for all of the Djokovic fans. Um, it seems like he's on the right track. Seems like he's refreshed mentally as well from what we hear physically. Everything's looking okay. It's looking good. Um, you know, I'm sure he will have his eyes focused on on Rome and Roland Garros. And I wouldn't be surprised if you know when things just start falling into place and start clicking. I mean, it's Novak Djokovic. You can't underestimate the guy. He could win anything at any time as long as he just gets it together. Um, so yeah, one to watch. This is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, our live coverage from Rome. Well, every day throughout the course of the event, we are on air half an hour before the scheduled start. Our roving reporter this week in Madrid was Nick McCarvel, and he's been speaking to some of the most influential people at the Mutua Madrid Open. We're going to play in our selection of the most insightful interviews from the Caja Magica, and there will be something of a Spanish theme. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by um, really a, a player, a man that a lot of people love in this country and around the world, Alex Carrecha, here in Madrid in your home country, Barcelona's home. But um, gosh, what a special time, I think, first off, to have these few weeks of the season where Spain really gets to have some of the best tennis in the world. Well, thanks a lot. The pleasure always is mine. Um, happy to see that a lot of people, you know, enjoy just listening to us or from what we do and watching us playing tennis. And definitely it's very important for Spain to have a Barcelona tournament and then, of course, Madrid. Uh, I think they're both great events, uh, especially, you know, when they're combined, men and women, I think it makes tennis much bigger. And we have um, a lot of good players and, of course, uh, we do have Rafa in the men's side dominating a lot and then the women's with Muguruza as well winning slams always creates good atmosphere you know and among the other ones which there are so many yeah, I think it's good for the spectators for the crowd and in general for the kids that are, that come here to, to watch to try to be a tennis player one day 
Talk a little bit about, if you can, about tennis in Spain, because there's a great tradition, obviously, with your generation, with what Carlos Moya was able to do, Arancha, um, Conchita Martinez, obviously before that, Sergey Bruguera. There's a lot of great history with tennis, with the sport. I think a lot of people would see it globally now, sitting with Rafa and Garbinier, mm -hmm. but it expands, up, uh, I, would, I would imagine it expands beyond that. Yes, I mean... It's been for so many years. Uh, we know Spain is a country where we love sports, uh, different ones, and tennis is one of them. That we are privileged people that we can, you know, uh, just uh, try to achieve our dreams, uh, becoming a, a tennis player. And we've got uh, good conditions, usually weather is very good. Uh, we got good coaches, good facilities. Uh, the federation does a good job too. We've got a lot of academies as well, which they they have good uh, professionals, and and it's nice. It's very very important for us to see that the people love it. They they watch it on TV all the time. Uh, they they really appreciate what you've done, and that's so nice because at the end you feel the support from from the crowd on the tournaments in mm. the street, and and that's something that it makes you feel very special. Uh, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about your career. I want to talk a little bit about the Spanish players here this week. Rafael Nadal might be one person we would chat about, too. Um, for you this week, working for Spanish TVE, um, detail a little bit of your role. And you're pretty well-versed in commentating. I've seen you courtside at, at the biggest tournaments in the world. You're one of the players who, have, who has chosen to really keep your, yourself very well um, a part of the game after you've played. Yes, I think it's very important because, uh, you know, you've been a tennis player all your career, but then you need to know what's your next dream or what's your passion. And my my passion is tennis overall. And uh, I'm working here with Spanish TV. I'm commentating a couple of matches a day. I do interviews on court as well, which is very nice for me. I've got the chance to talk to the guys when they win, which usually they're very happy, which is, <laughs> it makes yeah. my life easier. <laughs> and I'm trying to make like questions where they need to think and they need to answer something different uh, more than topics. And that's my goal, that people feel like the questions are good enough for the players to to answer something mm, interesting for them to learn because yeah, it's difficult for the people who are watching home that what they do something or what they choose to play to the backhand or to the forehand or even if they're nervous at 5-4 in the third set or not because they might be watching at home and thinking oh that's it but it's never it till you shake hands with your opponent so I think it's very important to get into their minds so they can uh, explain themselves as good as they can and like these people enjoy the interviews as much as, mm -hmm. as they can and that's that's very important that's very nice for me to have this chance yes there's nine Spanish at, at least nine Spanish players in the main draw here in singles including Rafael Nadal the world number one um, who's next in Spanish tennis because when when we look at those names they're names that we would all be familiar with you know Fernando Verdasco Feliciano Lopez Pablo Carreno Busta is a player perhaps that's had a recent success but are there a few names you could pick out for us of players that we should be on the watch for coming up on the tour as well well Spanish tennis has been always like in the last 25-30 years where you had players and then you can see that they were coming like three or four more at the time that they were they were going to be ready to, to make the next step. Right now, I think uh, we do have a lot of players. I'm not so sure they're ready to jump into yeah. the big top 10 tennis. Yeah, some of the young kids because people mature, mature a little bit later now the tour it's been very hard uh, tough to to win matches on the challenger tour as well to qualify on big events so pff, i don't know davidovich he won wimbledon last year juniors nicola kuhn he's been doing a great job too jama munar he's playing very well so we have players but I would never like to put pressure to them, like yeah. saying, oh, they are the next ones to, to step into the top 20 or top 10, because that would be an extra pressure that I don't think they need to, to deal with right now. They will face it maybe in a few years. So I think the ones we do have now, they still got some some fuel, some gas left. And, and of course, Carreño, it's very close to top 10 all the time. Bautista, too. So and definitely Rafa, which I still believe that he still got mm, 
years left on, on under his belt. You mentioned, you know, obviously that tough transition. You were world number two, a couple French Open finals, 98 and 2001. What has changed, Alex, about the pro tennis game that makes it that much harder to break into that next level or to sustain once you have broken through? Well, I believe every area it's different. Uh, we can't just say, oh, this is easier or tougher. You know, I think everything is difficult. Um, what I see right now is like everybody hits the ball so hard. Uh, doesn't matter if you're 50 in the world or 250. You just uh, smash the ball and just hit it as hard as you can. Probably a little bit less tactics because you have not that much time because the guys are well prepared physically. They are like uh, very strong. Probably they're bigger, they're taller, and so they play faster. But uh, I also feel that if you are very consistent and you have a good mentality and you are someone willing to do things well and very disciplined, I think you still make a big difference in tennis, either men or women. Mm. So I understand that it's difficult sometimes because they hit very hard, but I still found that the, the guys that they are more consistent are the ones who have more chances to to become a better place. Perhaps one of the most disciplined players of all time is Rafael Nadal, the current yeah. world number one, number one seed here, defending champion. Um, you you said years, plural, that you still feel like Rafa has left. There was a time in the last few years that people have felt like Rafa perhaps didn't have that left in him. But why do you think that now? And, and how impressed, Alex, have you been just in the last few months that he was able to turn that injury around from Australia and he's produced some of his best tennis? He's got 19 clay court wins in a row and he hasn't dropped a set in 46 played on the surface. Well, every time that Rafa gets uh, an injury or he gets hurt, uh, everybody panics and everybody feels like it's the end of Rafa. And... And he showed and he proved that they're all wrong. So they shouldn't, you know, just be thinking like, oh, Rafa, uh, he's not going to come back. He can always come back because he's special. His mentality is probably one of the toughest ever. So just give him the credit of he can get hurt because he, he travels around the world, because he plays a lot of tournaments, because he gives 100% every practice, every match he, he plays. So... Uh, he it is normal that he gets hurt sometimes and if he has something in his muscles or muscular i mean it's normal yeah. it's not a big deal and of course if he gets hurt with different injuries it's a shame for him and for the tour but at the same time when you are a guy that you're playing like so many matches a year and every week you play like five six very intense matches and you have good practices and you have everybody behind you and every time you go out of the court you have 3,000 people waiting for a picture with you or an autograph and everything is so tiring and, and then you need to do like so many interviews and, and if you don't do that it's because you are oh, he, he becomes cocky you know so that everything it's very stressful so we need to give them credit you know and they need to deal they have to deal with lots of things that many people doesn't even realize so I believe they are so good for the sport uh, and Rafa I, I think is the greatest example of humility but at the same time very ambitious person which is not you know against each other sometimes they tell you to be a little bit more aggressive in some ways because they found like oh if you're soft you're not going to win no I'm not telling about soft I'm saying I want to be ambitious but I can be a good guy I don't I don't need to be an arrogant person to try to beat my opponent you know so I think that's why Rafa he's the best on that area yeah, you know, I think a lot of the listeners will be somewhat aware of those obligations for the players, but I know from, and I'm sure you do too, from Rafa walking onto a TV set or into the press room, always a hello, always a handshake. I mean, you know, that's that's something that isn't necessarily required, but that he still puts forward in those sort of situations. Definitely. He is a normal human being in the world <laughs> that he... In most cases. Right. Yes, I'm not talking about on the court. I mean, <laughs> yeah. general. But 
because he does a fantastic job in his life. He is different in that way, but he's not different in a, as a human being, you know, and he knows that. He knows that not because he's such, such a great player and that winning a band out of a band, he's going to be different than the others. And that's, I think, it's some education that he's got since he's very little and his family and his team help him to realize that. So he is not normal on the court because what he does, it's almost impossible for us to understand, even if we were a tennis players. But when you see Rafa, the way he behaves, you know, it's the same like Roger, you know, when you see Feather, that he knows exactly on the court, he's, he's very, he's a person that he is focused and he likes to play his game perfect but then he helps other people foundation Novak the same Andy Murray the same you know they they know that they are role model and they know that a lot of people are watching them and and in a way they've got a responsibility to to be careful from what they say all the time so it's not easy and I think they do it very good lastly I think you'll remember this 2004 you played this event. It was in a different location, not here at the Magic Box. But uh, who'd you play in 2004 here in Madrid? Well, I played Rafa Nadal. <laughs> I beat him. Yes, you did. I was actually worse than him in the rankings, which a lot of people are telling me, oh, he was very young. Yes, he was very young, but he was like top 15. I was top 100 because I would drop in the rankings. And I have to say, I beat him in Madrid. I also beat him in Barcelona, by the way. <laughs> uh, just, just to clarify the records. Just to clarify the records, exactly. <laughs> and then I, I played second round against Roger Federer. So that's a pretty, pretty rough draw. <laughs> uh, I know at the time, you know, they were both young. But, uh, you know, it's a great memory. To, I mean, I play with both of them. It's funny because with Rafa I played two times, but with Roger I played five times, which we've got at different ages. But he's been already on the tour for so long. He was young. And, well, it's nice just to say that I play against them. But in my daily basis, I mean, uh, I don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Muchas gracias. And we really appreciate your time. Un placer, amigo. Dusan Leivich, fresh off the court. You've got some clay on your body. Good win there today, getting over Karen Hatchinoff in straight sets. How good does a win like that feel for you well yeah I mean definitely it pumps up the the confidence um, I've come from qualities so I got used to it I played really well in the qualities I, I didn't lose a set I, I was really stable the whole match and today was just a perfect match I mean uh, straight sets against a guy like Karen who's really hitting hard is really tough but um, I managed to to do whatever I wanted on the court and then that's why the result like this. You had surgery I think on a hernia last year yeah. obviously trying to work your ranking back up you're inside yeah. the top 100 won a quali or won a challenger a few weeks ago how do you start to build up that confidence to get back to where you want to be? Yeah I mean the the tough part was starting a preseason we didn't start until 16th of December so I only had like two weeks I didn't know how I'm going to start the season honestly we went to Australia not knowing what to expect but I played uh, two tough matches and I came up without any side effects on my body which was good and from then on it was just uh, a fight um, the the challenger gave me confidence yeah. and now I I have some back-to-back -back wins to 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 keep up with that and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm back on the track so quickly I mean sometimes this these things can be really really um, Demoralizing, and it yeah. can take a while. But uh, for me, it was really quick, and I uh, I hope that's all behind me. Dusan, it's, I'm always interested in players coming up, young players playing challengers, and then once they have their ranking, they can play some ATP events. But for you, how do you sort of figure out which ones to play? Because sometimes you want just the match wins, like you got in Guadalupe, but other times maybe you want the ranking points, the money, the the being back at a big event. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was a while when I was coming up, so. Uh, Right now, I try to avoid challenges as much as I can. I mean, I go there if I really need to win some matches, like I did in after Miami. I played a couple of good weeks, but against the top 20, 30 guys, and then I lost a couple of matches pretty tight. So, I mean, you know you're playing good, but you don't get any satisfaction out of it because you're losing matches. So, I also needed like uh, to prove myself to feel that that's where I belong on a higher level, and that's why when I went to Challenger, I I felt really well there. I I, I won. Uh, I played really good semis finals uh, straight sets wins so um, I knew that this was just a stopover to where I want to go and where I think I belong
Where's that nickname Dutsy come from? We see it on yeah, Twitter, and yeah. I think people probably call it to you in your in your yeah, real life. Where's that come from? Well, since I was three years old, three? yeah. So it's just stayed with me the whole life. Yeah, everybody who knew me, and I just decided to go up with that. And uh, yeah, everybody's just calling me like that now. And does your family still have the coffee shop in Serbia? Yeah, yeah actually we do. It's like two and a half years now. And I'm having a latte right now. Should I be having one of yours, actually? Well, that's our plan, to infiltrate <laughs> into the ATP. I mean, that would be the best. Drink my coffee. I mean, we're obviously the best in Serbia. Ah, I'm joking. Uh, a little bit of advertisement. But um, yeah, we do two and a half years now. It's been going good. We just opened a seafood restaurant as well three months wow. ago so I'm kind of exploring that area as well uh, but uh, you got to diversify your portfolio no? <laughs> yeah what, what's the name of the coffee shop it's in Belgrade it's in Serbian but if you translate it to English it's coffee lab okay yeah so we got all these kind of smoothies and stuff in this uh, lab, uh, uh, laboratory uh, glasses and stuff yeah. so it's a little bit like geeky but, but <laughs> it's cool okay if you're in Belgrade Serbia listening to this, this or going there to go, go to coffee yeah. lab lastly um, is that sort of well, a fun yeah go there before 12, 12 a.m. then you go to to the restaurant to have some yeah. food <laughs> oh perfect the seafood yeah, restaurant yeah, yeah um sure. is that sort of a fun piece of you know you're 27 now yeah. you've been on tour for a while is it kind of a fun extra project to have yeah it is i mean i'm into a lot of stuff uh, yeah. i have a lot of hobbies uh the latest one is cryptocurrencies so i mean <laughs> yeah i'm everywhere a little bit but uh still tennis is my main goal okay next time we'll talk some cryptocurrency thanks all right, Dusan. all right thank you <laughs> I'm sitting courtside with a very happy, a very smiley Frederick Rosengren. That's because his charge today, Kyle Edmund, drops just four games in a tough match against Daniil Medvedev. Coach, then how are you trying to work with, because Kyle has that huge forehand, the serve that continues to improve. How are you trying to help him in that mental aspect of the game so he can continue to grow and face an opponent like Medvedev and feel like he should walk away as the winner? You always go, I mean, you always have... Uh, some things you're working on uh, and and you always go back on the practice court I mean to to talk about uh, how it looked like yesterday in the match uh, or you go straight to the practice court and work after the match you know you always you always talk about the things what we have to 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 work on you know to so it's so important sometimes to to, to focus on to doing the right things you know to to have things uh, to focus on so you're not always thinking about the result it's easy to say very tough to handle uh, because it's a professional sport so it's all about winning to find a way to win but you know it's, it's good to have some notes or some you know really really a couple of stuff you think about also in your game when you go out there and play a match. So. We know that Kyle can play well on hard courts. We saw what he did at the Australian Open. Can he be a threat on red clay as well? And if, if so, what are the, sort of the pieces or parts of his game that are amplified by the clay? Uh, for me, uh, honestly, he has to play a little bit more with shape. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a little bit too with flat. shape. Uh, explain that to the uh, listener because yeah, I like that. Shape is uh, you know with more height, yes. more marginals over the net that you give yourself more time between the shots, so he can have time to move. Sometimes he plays a little bit too much PlayStation tennis. You know, it's ding ding <laughs> ding ding ding. It goes a little bit too fast, and then he has no time to set up. Uh, set up for his big forehand, and and that's we 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 try to to use the practice court to to uh, get him understand that sometimes the slow short cross is much better than the heavy shot who cuts the baseline. You know, you have to look at the big guys how good they are at open up the court mm. so the winners has doesn't need to be on the line you know on the sideline if you open up the court good make the make the opponent running out of the court uh, then you can hit the winners one meter inside the sideline so it's all these things you know more tactically stuff because I think I think he has all actually technically all the all the strokes to to uh, be successful on clay also really successful but it's a matter of you know how to use take out the right club uh, yeah, uh, from the back yeah, yeah 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 which iron you know like like sometimes is is uh, but you see that with these guys who plays with a lot of power as yeah. soon they see opportunity to kill the ball they they kill it and i i try to explain for him that for me it's good enough if you force the other guy to do a mistake 
So he can do a little bit heavy play, be a little bit more patient, but still aggressive. When when he has a performance like this, 4-0 against Medvedev, how much are you trying to pick out all the good things, and then how much are you trying and compliment him in that sense, and then how much are you trying to get him into the mentality of, okay, you've got a, a former world number one, multiple-time Grand Slam champion to play tomorrow? You, I mean, you, you, it's so important to, to build a... You know the the confidence and and what I will tell him tonight it is he has to visualize he has to see himself leave the court, you know build up the confidence see himself leaving the court tomorrow as a winner, that is so important that he has that desire and that he believe believe he can win. I mean, we all know how tough it is. At the same time, why are you practicing? You practice back. To play these matches, to play yeah. the the legends on the on the on the tennis tour, you have the opportunity to to play them not very often. So tomorrow he has that opportunity, and come on, just take that and go out and grab it. I mean, come on. I see lightning in the distance. I, I it feels like rain. So I want to ask you one more thing. You mentioned that, and often in the media we hear about players approaching every match like they're the same. But it's got to be hard as a player who is facing someone so accomplished to convince yourself that you can walk away the winner yeah i agree i mean of course as i said he has to he has to believe he can he can beat uh, novak djokovic tomorrow and i think the thing is if you we have seen the whole year actually that a lot of players can beat him so other players show Kyle the way that is possible. Two years ago or one year ago, he won the he won his matches already in the locker room. Yep. Nobody believed that they can beat him. Some a lot of other players show the way. So he has to he he has to believe that he can win and to believe that he is good enough to do it. Uh, but we all know it's going to be, of course, very very tough. All right, well, Frederick Rosengren, thank you. Thank you for letting me accost you just courtside. No worries. Thank you so much. Best of luck tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Emilio Sanchez, thank you so much again for taking some time to speak with us here on ATP Tennis Radio. I was actually going through your career and what you've done, and I, I honestly didn't really even know where to start because you've accomplished so much. But where do you see your role now in Spanish tennis and what obviously you've been able to do, Emilio, but perhaps the things you still want to do for Spanish tennis? Well, I don't know where I see myself. I, I, if I have to, to go back and, and uh, judge myself as a player, I will uh, keep the competitiveness. I think, I think that I never give up in a match. And I think that that is something that, that with my tools, with my shots and so, uh, make me be able to, to, to do some good results and, and, and to have a long career. And, but that, that, uh, that drive, that, you know, like, like that effort that I put, and, and, and I think that that is something that, that I, will, I will always try to show my students and uh, try that, that them take that, that identity of, of, of a competitor, no? of a fighter, of a, of a hard work and, 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 and effort. No? And, and uh, that is something that came from, from my, my home, from my mom, that she was a very hard worker and she was always uh, being an example of how to, how to work hard and, 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 and um, now looking, looking back, because many years have passed, <laughs> Uh, if I see sometimes like someone shows me a video or, uh, or, or my kids, they, they just put a video or something. When I see that player that was there, that, that with, with, with those shots and everything, what, I, what I'm more proud of is that I never, I never, never give up. So that, that's something that, that for me I try to show my students and, and, and that it doesn't matter the winning or losing. What is important is to be there. If I can, just for a second, you reach world number one in doubles, three-time Grand Slam doubles winner, 1988 Olympic silver medalist. You helped captain the Davis Cup team here in Spain to a 2008 win. 
Um, over 15 years, you also reached the quarterfinals and singles at Roland Garros and US Open. I could, I probably could go on and on, but did you feel at that point in your career like you were sort of leading Spain into a new wave along with Arancha, Conchita, Sergey, what he was able to do? And, and then there was a, another iteration of a generation, and now we've seen what Rafael Nadal has been able to do. We know Spanish tennis in the last 30 years has been healthy, but up to the late 80s, not necessarily. Well, we had a big push for Spanish tennis uh, with first initially with, with Santana and, and Orantes, those guys, they really opened the doors. And then I think that, that uh, after that, the tennis clubs start to build in Spain in the uh, 70s and, and, and when Spain was a bit more open to, to, to sport. And then uh, the generations that I was, that, that, that I was they start to, to do some, some, some results. But if we go back in 88, when we won the silver medal in, in, um, in Korea, uh, Spain won three medals, one in sailing, one in arch, and one in tennis. So the, you can imagine the type of level that we had in a sport. So in, in those moments, was like, like there was a gap there for some years that Spain was doing so-so in tennis compared to before, like the Arantes and Nigueras that they were Gimeno, they were really top. But then there was like a 10-year like a gap there. And then, and then we, we arrived and we opened, reopened the doors, which is easier reopened than open. So, so um, when you are there, you don't think that you are like a flag or you don't think on that. But what I think, looking back, is that, that um, we created like a, like a kind of like a way to do. So, so, so the, like a way to do means like on the, on the discipline, on the effort, on the, on, the, on, the, on the work, on the type of, 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 of development that we follow. And we had a, a, a way to train that was very specific with drills, with movement, going behind the ball. That if you see any Spanish player, they have that. So in some way, uh, and, and, and after that, every generation came after Sergi, and then the Correchas, and then the Moyas, and then the Ferreros, and then every generation was getting better and better until the arrival of, 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 of the best of the best, which is Rafa, which is the top of the top, which he has an incredible already career. No? But in some way, the, the, most of the people was working in, 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 with that, with that um, type of, of way to do. And, 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 uh, but now we, we can look that back and say that we were that. But when you are there, you don't think, you are, oh, I'm there here, <laughs> the, yeah. the one who is opening. No, you just try to do your best and to win them the more than we can and, and the, to, be, to compete. No? And, and um, in singles, I, 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 I was lucky enough to play with the best of the best because in my time, we had the three generations with the Mack and Rolandels, uh, Connors, Borgs playing at, the, at their, let's say, on their 30s. And then uh, our generation with uh, Edberg, Bielander, Becker, Muster, and then the generation after, very young arrivals with the Agassi, Courier, Sampras. So it, to, to be able to play with those three generations together was really tough. And uh, to be able to, to sometimes play with them um, and, and challenge them, it was, for me, was, was with not so much game because I didn't have big weapons to, to beat them. So, so it, was, it was something that is very, very, I'm very grateful and, and very honored, no? because there have been moments in, in the tennis when you don't have the three generations together where there is a kind of like lack of, of leadership. But at the time, I, I remember the year I played Masters in Germany, my group was Edberg, Sampras, and Agassi. So I went to the shop and buy a helmet, and <laughs> I went to play. <laughs> I went to play there because it was it was really 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 tough. So, but um, I, I think I, I am very fortunate uh, that to be in tennis. I, tennis is is my love and it's my life, and I am what I am thanks to tennis. So I I cannot be more more happy to 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 be born in this in this industry, and and I am a big big. Uh, um, promoter of that and uh, I've always been doing something in, in, in the industry and I will keep doing it. It's my job as a journalist to ask you about the past, to make you remember, but then also to reflect on what's, happen what's happening currently. 
and looking ahead for Spanish tennis. I put this to Alex Carecha earlier this week about where are the next tennis stars. We have nine men in the main draw here at the Mutua Madrid Masters. Rafael Nadal obviously has, if you could reflect a little bit on what he's been able to do for Spanish tennis and also what Garbine Muguruza has achieved in her career. But now I think a lot of people are looking to the next generation, or perhaps this generation proves to be sort of stretching their time on tour? Well, Spanish tennis is in, obviously in the best moment. I think um, we, we, are, uh, we have the number one, which is breaking records every week. So number of sets, number of matches, number of titles, 11 here, 11 there. And he's, he's very competitive. And, uh, and that gives you a perspective where, where if he keeps that comp competitive state or that, that idea of the state, he's going to be there for, for, for a while. So for that for Spanish tennis is amazing because having an a, a example like that, is, you cannot get something like that. Um, on top of that, we have all the others, which they are following him. And, and I think he's, he's a leader on, 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 on the way to do also, because many of the other players that they even they are all past the theories and so they are in their best shape and, and better, more, more precise, faster, stronger. So, so they, they, they keep improving and he's 37 years old. So, so I think this generation is by far the best that, we, that they has been and hopefully they will stretch it. The ones going after them, it's very difficult to be compared to this generation, so you cannot compare it. But they are there, so you have the, that they are very, very professional. And that way to do from Nadal, I think that Carreño and uh, Bautista, Ramos, these guys, they live for tennis, so they're going to be there. They're very young, they're 26, 27, and so if they follow the path from the Nadals and Lopez and these, they're going to be there for 10 years. So those guys, they're going to, they, they, when, when these other guys, they are not there anymore, they are going to make much more noise. And after that, we, the Spanish, we normally are, we are uh, more late arrivals. Like, like we arrive late, a bit later, we are Latin, so it takes us a bit longer to, to, to mature. Uh, but but um, and, and, um, we were so spoiled because every generation for 25 years was better and better and better. So with the arrival of Nadal, there is not better to do. So, so we cannot improve that. So, so the, 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 um, the really young ones, they need, they need uh, to, to really improve so much in, in everything technical, tactical, physical, and mental to be able to arrive to that state that uh, is taking them a bit longer. But we have some good, good guys behind, not like before, like we used to have 15 or, 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 or even more players in the top 100. But I think we're going to always have good, good players because the, the, of the spirit of the, of the Spanish player, I think that's something that makes a difference. Because there is, if you realize when you watch the, the Spanish players, they never give up. And they are, guys, they, they are competitors. And, and, and with many times with very little game, they, they do a lot. And that's something that that uh, goes with the with the soul of the sports, and probably comes from from because the Spanish sport is so young, and so the people wants to really do well, and and it's a big opportunity, and they are very hungry, but they have in incredible passion for the sport. Yeah, I think unmatched, really, <laughs> on tour. Well, thank you so much for your time, yeah. and let's check in again maybe next year and see if we've got more Spanish okay. tennis players to talk about. Thank you so much. So my thanks to Nick McCarvel and to all his guests in Madrid this week and to Naomi Cavaday alongside me for the ATP Tennis Radio podcast for our live coverage from Rome. Again, to remind you, we are on air every day, 30 minutes before the scheduled start. You can listen to us via the atpworldtour.com website. There is a listen button at the top of the homepage. We're there on TuneIn via the website and the app. Just search for ATP Tennis Radio and subscribe to our page for notifications and we are available via tennis tv as well via website and app too just click on the radio button in the menu if you want more details about uh, the tournament in rome you can go to the official tournament website internationale bnl d'italia 
Com. That's pretty much it from Madrid. A sensational performance then from Sasha Zverev to pick up his third ATP Masters 1000 title at the age of just 21. From me, Richard Connolly, goodbye. And we'll speak to you next week from Rome on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast.